0: Up next, No Forecast Monday on Astrological Metaphysical Radio. Good afternoon, Los Angeles and all of Southern California. I'm Farley Malaris, and you're listening to Astrological Metaphysical Radio, the phenomenon of the 80s, on KFOX 93.5 FM, your talk Alternative. And here I come on my horse, too, riding in. All right, L.A., wake up. The Lakers won. So, we are once again a happening city with mucho respeto. <laughs> with mucho, mucho respeto. Uh, John Bauer, sorry, guy. Guy calls me up and says, The Lakers have all this failure in their chart. Well, you heard it right here on k Fox. I'm still going with them to win the whole thing. In fact, they're going to probably rip Dallas a lot easier than Utah, Utah, I think, being the second best team in the playoffs, astrologically. Today we're going to talk about rebirth, spiritual rebirth, growth, and the price that you have to pay to get just about anything in life. Isn't it funny that such a pleasurable act, like sex, (laughs) intercourse... So much fun normally for most people when you get involved in it can produce a lot of pain as far as the long result. You know, once the seed is placed nine months later, unfortunately or fortunately, the woman, whether it's natural or not, usually has to go through a lot of pain before that beautiful, loving, caring, tender baby comes out. And uh, reminds me of something Joan Rivers used to say. She said, having a baby is like trying to get a piano through a keyhole. <laughs> well, what this topic is all about, this topic has been expired by a movie I saw over the weekend called A Man Called Horse with Richard Harris. It was a movie about uh, an Englishman who was captured by the Yellow Hand Sioux in the, in the 1700s, I believe, and what he went through in order to grow spiritually and, and become a brave in the Sioux uh, Indian nations. And I'm telling you, uh, their philosophies, very karmic philosophies, have a lot to do with having to recognizing that pain must be experienced for any birth, rebirth, or growth process. Well, this has a lot to do with this dimension and the laws of karma. Unfortunately, whenever you uh, want anything or whenever you try to get anything in this dimension, you have to go through a birth process, a birthing process. I think birthing processes happen all the time, everywhere. You can actually look at any part of your life and any acquisition that you are struggling for, any bonus or reward that you think you want, and you can actually attach a price or a payment Or even some kind of suffering before you get there. Everyone makes such a big deal out of relationships. But did you know that so many people use relationships to eventually catalyze having the self respect and that major relationship with themselves? Because as you know, not too many people stay together in relationships. Seems like a lot of people get bounced around when we talk about relationships. So everyone goes through a major pain or adjustment after losing or breaking up with someone. And many times the result. Of that adjustment will be a metaphysical birthing or rebirthing process where you are so much better than you were before or even during the relationship would actually create a much better vehicle for the next time you may get involved in a relationship and actually you'll be more suited or more knowledgeable dealing with the relationship so the pain syndrome will be a lot less one thing I have noticed about life and about the choice to incarnate in this dimension is that, believe it or not, we as God particles come from a bliss-like state at the highest form of messianic recognition, beyond human form, of course. We're talking about in the light. When you are in the light, beyond Earth, beyond this dimension, and you're at the highest level of God consciousness, I consider that level what we would refer to on Earth as beyond bliss. You see, in order for this dimension to be created, or in order for anything to be created beyond the whole, beyond the oneness, of the light, you know, because all there is is light, but in its quest for variety, diversity, and creativity, this light essence, this God essence, has learned how to make things and manifest things. But unfortunately, whenever anything is manifest, it is usually manifest apart from the basic truth and the basic foundation of the light and the basis of this life force, which is love and and which is essence of truth and power and wisdom, and knowledge, and oneness that we all share. So, there's a step-down process that occurs when this force of light creates, because every time this force of light creates, it divides itself like a cell. Isn't that funny that, that for a creature, or for a living being, or anything to become manifest, there has to be a cell division, where something is one, and then it divides to two, and then it divides to four, and then to eight, and then to, to 16, and 32, and 64, and then eternally up to the billions or whatever trillions and for you to get a living creature you have to divide that cell over and over again and have it bisect it i don't know if there's any pain at the cellular level but i know at the metaphysical level and at the psychic level there would be so what happens is when we approach this step-down process when this force of light or this god force decides it wants to create essence or manifestations apart from its own self apart from the from the truth of oneness, then there is some kind of suffering or pain that is experienced because some of the power, some of the wisdom, some of the knowledge, and some of that oneness is removed in order to create separation. Isn't that interesting? So what we get is we get a situation where the God force creates separation, and usually, like, if you take the God force, which is one, and divide it into two, it's still going to be aware of its relationship to itself. But when you start dividing down and getting billions of entities that are separate, well, then you start creating uh, situations of pain where some of these separations will feel lonely and apart from the whole. Some of us that are metaphysically evolved and spiritually evolved are aware of the oneness that we have with God. So we don't have that kind of loneliness. We don't have that kind of feeling of separation. A lot of us that are far away from the oneness of God philosophy, the messianic philosophy that we all share, and the fact that We are all plugged into this major terminal of essence, right? A force of knowledge, of love, of wisdom. We get so far away from the truth that we get into creating what we think is our own kingdom and our own universe. Reminds me of a scientist that starts playing with the powers of the universe and tries to create life, you know, (laughs) experimenting with the DNA molecule. If that ever happens and a scientist in a lab somewhere can somehow create entity form, some kind of organism from scratch, then wow, I, I don't know if we're in trouble or not, but that is actually, I guess, what the God force is all about. But still in all, when individuals which are, you know, part of this cellular breakdown, this metaphysical cellular breakdown, when they finally get so far away from the truth of light, from the source of love, and, they, and, and some of their priorities rest away from the spirit, because people down here on earth in this dimension are so far away from the oneness until now, where it's finally welling up again and becoming quite more obvious, quite more evident. But some of us down here are creating empires, creating gigantic structures of riches and fortune, money. Where is the priority placed? People are breaking their necks, they're breaking their backs, and they are driving themselves crazy in order to acquire things. It's just like God again. You take things from your own body, from your own self, and you pull it apart and you make it something separate that you can nurture. But instead of us actually bisecting ourselves, we are already down here bisected, so what we do is we try to get things outside of our bodies that we think will make us happy. I hope that's clear. The problem is is that all of this is an illusion because in truth, we have everything we need, and a lot of times, for example, in that movie, uh, a Man called Horse," where Richard Harris played this gentleman, John Morgan, who was a born again <laughs> Sioux Indian, right? I think the truth that came out in that movie was to let him know. That all there was is the spirit. And then a lot of times, if we reach out beyond that, that's where the pain comes in. Sometimes we need to suffer the pain of physicality on earth. Sometimes we need to be shocked, injured, hurt, a broken leg, an ulcer, a heart problem, a lung problem, some kind of intestinal problem, emotional pain, you know, just depression, sadness, stress, physical pain, mental pain, anxiety, confusion feelings of loneliness. See, we create all these things, and then people say, well, why do we have all these symptoms of pain? Where do they come from? Well, I say that all of these symptoms of pain come from us trying to reach outside of our own bodies, outside of our own spirit, to try to acquire and manifest people and objects into our life that we have been conditioned, you know, by the society, and by our peers, and by our family, and by our parents, and people that tell us that What are you going to do with your life? What kind of career are you going to have? And are you going to buy a house? Are you going to get married? Are you planning on having children? Are you planning on buying a nice car? Are you going to live in a free country somewhere? Like people actually pressure us without them knowing it because they think this is the right thing to do. They pressure us into thinking that we need something outside of ourselves to make us happy. And I myself was raised in an environment also where a lot of my relatives and a lot of my friends constantly pressured me into thinking that I would need something more than Farley to make me happy. Well, I don't have any children, but if I did have a child, then I would probably spend a lot of time with that child talking about the spirit, not necessarily God, but necessarily the essence or the vibration that exists inside of a child, you know, also revealing to that child the chakra systems and the aura and the astral body and the intuitive mind. and Spending time even with a three-year-old or a four-year-old on these issues is something, if you plant that at a very young age, the roots of this knowledge can be very, very powerful and create a spiritual security within an individual that can overwhelm their need for material acquisition. Of course, it is important to get a job and to make money and to survive in this dimension and this planet with the way it is, you know, considering the current the setup here on Earth. Yeah, of course, that is important, too. But teaching a child about spiritual priorities is also important. I think the mistake that we make, once again reaching outside of our own bodies, is that we make the mistake of thinking that we need to take our children to a church or to a synagogue or to a temple or to some fundamentalist religious structure to give them this particular physical training. But a lot of times this type of training is force-fed. It is also torturous upon our children because in a lot of institutions if the kids don't believe or don't listen to what they're being told, they're punished by so-called religious leaders or people that represent religions and many times they're not given the individual counseling that they deserve or require in order to understand some of the spiritual priorities. Now you know what happens to people when people just find out on earth that they want to get something, then they always have to pay for it with a price and that is the pain that they go through. But if you go through life with a spiritual attitude and a spiritual priority, understanding that you do have certain needs that might be acquired to help you get by in this dimension, in this dimension of the material. But it will never overwhelm your need to be spiritual. See, if the spiritual recognition, and if we place into our children the basic truth, in my opinion, that they, in fact, not only are one with God, but they are God. And this is really not an ego sort of projection. In my opinion, this is a way to alert a child to the fact that they are a terminal of a power, of a force in this universe that exists everywhere. And they are representative of this force in their own individual way. And if they never lose track of this fact, if you look back at your childhood, especially like me, if you were raised perhaps in the 30s, in the 40s, or the 50s, and you remember some of the things that were important to you and some of the things that were stressed to you when you were raised, I don't remember anyone sitting down with me. And I went to Sunday school and other forms of religious schools. I don't remember anyone sitting down with me and having this basic discussion on the spirit and on the God force and on a child's relationship to God. I really don't remember that. But boy, was I frightened when I was a kid. And boy, was I misled into strange priorities, like eating, sitting down and eating and consuming food. Tremendous priority and celebration was placed on this simple behavioral pattern, a natural instinct, but everyone made a big deal out of it. And hence, a lot of people in my family are overweight because of that, because that's one of the priorities that was placed in our family. Another thing, was like uh, competition, games, gambling, <laughs> you know, winning, with the winning attitude and beating another person or putting them down or, or making yourself better than that. And that was something that went all through high school, college, tremendous competitive structures that existed. And there was always just one winner and many losers. So the losers had to settle with what that was all about. And then what about the hunt? Not only for the hunt for money, but the hunt for women, the hunt for power. It's like we all were trained many times uh, when I was growing up to be hunters. But where was the spirit? We well, you know, along those lines of going through life and being hypnotized into uh, understanding or believing in the wrong things and constantly searching for light and truth, it was like there was something inside of me that kept saying, there's more than this. This is not all there is. Money and power and lust and sex and domination and manipulation and competition, And this is not what it's all about. Because the prize was always something that was an illusion of separation. It was not part of the oneness of the Spirit. Even people don't stick. Friends, so-called friends, right? So-called friends don't stick. People pretend to be your friends, and they'll use you for this, and they'll use you for that. And then when they're gone, you'll cry. You'll be upset because they're gone, and you're not being used anymore sometimes. And not all friends are like that. This dimension is a major projection, a holographic projection, of this basic issue. Spirit versus material. And whenever you go beyond the spirit and reach for the material or reach for anything outside of yourself, which is basically an illusion of the separation away from the basic one that we are talking about, then you have to usually pay a price for it. And that price is a painful price, either emotionally, mentally, physically, or spiritually. Now, many times, the result of going through that pain, in other words, the way this dimension works, so many times is that when we finally do throw ourselves into a pain syndrome, When we finally come out of that process, we are given a choice to become that much more spiritual. I have found, through a lot of my agonies and ecstasies, that when I do go through extreme pain, I come out of it and I feel a lot less vulnerable because of the knowledge I learned as far as getting there and what created the pain, how I can avoid the pain. Next time, maybe I can pray and and change my behavioral patterns or my habits or my routines. Maybe I was reaching for something that I didn't need to have or really something beyond my own spirit that I placed a priority on, whether it's a career, or whether it's being rich, or whether it's looking good, you know, or feeling good about yourself. Some people are so obsessed about their bodies that they tear them up inside. On the outside, they look great, but their vital organs are all abused. Some of these people would have really hard rock bodies, right? These are people that can be anorexic or push themselves to physical limits in their exercises And inside, they're tearing their bodies apart. But on the outside, they look good. You know, they got a tan, right? But they may have skin cancer for it. There's actually a pain syndrome that can be attached with anything in life, as far as I'm concerned, and especially spiritually, if you ever get away from the spirit. In order to get back to the spirit, you know, it's the same thing, getting away from the oneness of God and the light force, the God force, separating itself into individual particles. That God force... Pays a price for that because it loses its awareness. Well, when you come back to the light, you have to go through the same pain process because each time you rebirth, see, like everything in the universe is a birthing process. And that birthing process, whether it's away from the light or towards the light, is filled with a price. It's like you pay money to leave Los Angeles because you pay for gas or you pay for a bus or you pay for a plane, and then you have to pay more money <laughs> to get back to the city. <laughs> plane, ticket, get. It's like you pay a price to leave the light, and then to come back to the light, you pay another price to come back. And usually there is a pain syndrome that is connected with that. So a lot of times I I say to myself, gosh, if I did have a child, one of the things I would do is I would sit down and talk to them about the spirit and get their idea and opinion on it and see if I could make some sense with them and some logic. And I would do this on a regular basis, not to try to force feed the child because not all children are going to want to hear this. But if you do find that occasional child that is interested in it, imagine the head start and really the trust and the power that you can create inside of a little individual like that, a small being, a small human being, that can really help them live their lives that much more happier. And I have known people that have been raised by spiritual people that have actually fortified their children's childhoods with this type of growth. And I think it's just wonderful. And I really wish that I and a lot of other people could have had it too. The world might be a lot happier place. Can you imagine children being raised on this planet with an emphasis on their own spiritual powers, their power of God, their power of healing, the messianic power, their power of grace and mercy and unity and oneness, instead of raising our children in a power structure, competition, win, win, win. And I'm not saying there's anything totally wrong with the structure we're into now because we supposedly have some freedom, but man, there's a lot of danger, a lot of suffering, and a lot of weird vibrations going on in this planet right now. And until we do get to the spirit, a lot of us are going to have to pay for that at a price that may hurt. It may be painful. And like I said, I, whenever I've experienced rebirthing or evolution of my spirit or heightening of my awareness levels, unfortunately, I've had to gone through a situation where I've had to pay for that either through crying, anxiety, or physical pain, or mental pain, or emotional pain. And usually after I've gone through the process, I seem to rise above it and understand it and be a lot more objective about it so I can share that and teach that with other people. Now, my next segment, I'm going to talk about astrologically what we can identify in our natal charts as far as zeroing in with which areas we have chosen to focalize on in this particular life cycle that might explain some of this pain, pleasure, syndrome, in this evolution. Well, One interesting thing I find out about the astrology chart is when we get our charts done, we find out that there is a relationship in our charts between the planets. There's like a gravitational effect that goes on at birth, where the planets are affecting themselves, and this particular effect seems to be charging our bodies at birth and affects us our whole life. It's like each and every one of our cells has a planetary pattern embedded in it. So astrologically, if we're born with two planets that stress to each other by understanding what the planets are and by understanding what the stress is, like a square or an opposition or sometimes a conjunction, then we can zero in on what the karma would be. And karma happens to be a basic law that is understood by many metaphysicians in this dimension to be that payback price that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about today really is karma, the law of karma. What goes out comes in. What goes around comes around. And if you abuse the dimension and take advantage of this dimension and get obsessed with the illusion of separation or things outside or beyond, the oneness, then you have to pay a price, and that usually something or someone is taken from you, and hence the pain. Well, by analyzing the astrology chart in advanced focus, we can understand what some of this pain is. Today we're talking about the price that you pay to go away from the light and the price that you pay to come back to the light. So this is obviously a very advanced metaphysical topic, a show that if you did record and don't understand, you might want to listen to it a few times. Of course, I'm never ever admitting to be the total bottom line as far as metaphysical truths, but from what I have learned and studied, these are some helpful hints that that work for me. At least this is my own personal theory. When you look down at an astrology chart, and you want to figure out which areas you'll be more obsessed with. And usually obsessions and addictions, things that we can't let go of, and people that we can't let go of. See, once we reach outside of our own bodies, beyond the spirit, within our own souls, See, because really, true happiness is a person that is happy unto themselves, unto their own spirit. And the fact that they're lonely, or they don't have anyone, or they don't have anything, it has nothing to do with it. These people are so powerful that they are rich in spirit, and that creates a blissful environment so they can actually walk this earth without pain. Now, a man, for example, like Christ, who had nothing, or Gandhi, who really didn't have anything, people that could live very simply with not even fancy clothing, okay, were trying to show us this basic spiritual truth and then go through the incredible price of suffering, the martyrdom of their own personal lives, to even go beyond that, right? But anyway, in the astrology chart, when you're looking at your chart to try to zero in on these obsessions and or addictions, they're very simple to find, and I'll give you the simple basic key in order to find them. For example, in the astroscope, on the third page, you have a column called Planetary Aspects, and that's the one you want to circle. Now, as you go down that column, you're going to find certain planets are square, S-Q-U-A-R-E, each other, or certain planets are opposition, O-P-P-O-S-I-T-I-O-N, each other. And that right there is a revelation of your own personal karmic map for this life cycle. Now, basically and very simply, and this is easy, squares in the natal chart are a karma that we have with ourselves, are the belief that we need something outside of ourselves emotionally or mentally to make us happy. So, obviously, people with more squares in their chart are going to be more insecure unto themselves, more lonely, more lost, are more frightened because they think they need something outside of their own lives to make them happy. And a lot of times, squares will create self-destructive, addictive behavior where we hurt ourselves or manifest pain inside of our bodies or inside of our spirits that is of a negative faction. To zero in on the stress karma pattern of a square, you need to understand what the two planets involved in the square mean and what the two houses involved where the two planets lie. What they mean then you can really focus on what the obsession and the addiction for that aspect would be that takes you away from the spirit. An opposition in our chart, the karma behind that, would show an insecure need for us to create other people in our lives. Excuse me. More than just creating insecurity in our own souls, the opposition means that we need to create other individuals in our lives that will serve as major catalyzers for karmic growth. Because many times people with oppositions will create in their lives other individuals that are so totally wrong for them, such incredible challenges, people that are so impossible to deal with and end up with in a balance or stability, that eventually we are forced to lose these people. And then we are also forced to go through the pain of loss or rejection. A lot of times an opposition in a natal chart could be a repayment of a physical karma, where physical abuse is the key here. Where we are actually create other people in our lives that will physically hit us or hurt us or slap us or shoot us or stab us or rape us or whatever. So the squares show our need to create things outside of ourselves, mostly things, objects, items of desire like power, riches, glory, uh, middle class, upper class ethic and stuff. And oppositions are creating people outside of ourselves that we think we need. And those are the two basic astrological aspects to understand where and how you will pay your price beyond the spirit in order to obtain anything in this dimension that you will place importance on beyond your own spirit. With that, it's time to go to the phones, and we do have some open lines, so please join us in today's show. Today's show is like a class, and today is the day where the lines are open for you to treat me like I was a professor and ask me any questions. I'll try the best I can to answer them. And Laura was the first one to call. Laura, are you there?
1: Yes, I am. i me turn my radio down.
0: Okay. What can we do for you? Uh,
1: I wanted to ask you about the finger of God. I have one in my...
0: Hello? Did, did I lose you? Okay, Laura. <laughs> Sounds like I lost you, Laura. So I'll answer your question if you're still listening, and I hope you turn on your radio. Maybe you are listening. A finger of God happens, and this is also another advanced karma aspect, by the way. A finger of God happens when you have three planets in your chart that are almost alien to each other, okay? Meaning that one planet is in one sign at the point of the finger, and it is an aspect to two planets that are 150 degrees away on each side. And this is a very exact aspect. The orb is only two to three degrees. It's called an inconjunct or a quinx. So you'll have one planet quinks another planet in one sign, then another planet on the other side of the zodiac still quinks that same planet. For an example, if you have Leo, for example, a planet in Leo at 15 degrees, that would be in conjunct to a planet in Capricorn at 15 on one side of the quinx, and in Pisces at 15. So Pisces 15 and Capricorn 15 are two signs that are really alien to Leo. Capricorn is like alien Earth, and Pisces is like an alien water, where there's really no real continuity or synchronicity or balance between Capricorn and Leo and Pisces and Leo. And every sign has two signs that will inconjunct it, two alien forces that will inconjunct it. So usually when you have this finger of God, it is a heavy lesson to try to synchronize and balance this energy because you're dealing with a planet in your chart that has two alien vibrations attached to it that can create one darned unusual person. Talk about uniqueness. A finger of God creates a special type of uniqueness where you might be misunderstood in life or you might misunderstand other people. could be a big communication problem. And obviously, people with these aspects in their chart have major challenges in their lives where they rise up and uh, they have to struggle or climb mountains to overcome things. That's why we recognize people with fingers of God as being very powerful. Did you hear all that, Laura?
1: Yes, I did. You
0: did? Okay, that was your answer. That was a really good question. I've had yeah, that. I
1: was, I, there was a little bit.
0: Okay, okay listen, I gotta to go because I, I can't hear you because your radio's on. It down. So what'd you say?
1: I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, I wanted to know if it tended to make a person self destructive and if there was a way to overcome that.
0: Well, like I said, it's an alien force inside your chart that is different. It's not like a normal fire, earth, air, or water complement, you know. Uh-huh. So we usually get fire complementing fire and air complementing earth and water complementing water and certain fire, earth, air and water will set each other off, but when you get a finger of God, you're dealing with three planets that are in a strange relationship to each other that can create a strange quirk in a personality where people will reject you or they won't understand you or you might get brushed aside sometimes when you're growing up.
1: Oh, does that sound familiar?
0: Where guilt is laid on you, sometimes heavy guilt all the time. And when you overcome this aspect, you, if you do overcome it, if you don't end up in a mental institution, <laughs> then some of our most powerful people throughout history have had fingers of God in their chart.
1: Yeah. Okay? All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Let's go to Lotus now on line one. Hello, Lotus.
1: Hi, Farley. Hi, Flower. Um, hello. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I have a question. Actually, I wrote this question down Saturday, and you, you seem to have answered it, but I'm going to bring it about in a different aspect, I guess. I'm a numerologist, and when I put a chart down and I examine that chart, for a person to get back to the light and stop the cycle of death and rebirth, there are exact specific karmic lessons that that person has to, you know, learn. And I can see that most of the people that I run into only have, like, one or two. And they're specific. Like, for instance, if your name were really Filey Malar, the two that you have are, you know, really simple, like learning a one-to-one love uh, lesson, like learning to give love on a one-to-one basis.
0: Really? (laughs)
1: And the other one is, well, you were very wealthy in a previous life and you never really learned the value of material wealth and in this life you'll have to be poor until you learn that, right?
0: This is your life, Barley Yeah, So
1: I'm wondering if you can see this in an astrology chart. Mhm. If you can see these specific karmic lessons and once you finish these, once you've learned these, you don't have to go through, you know, this anymore. Right. Is there a a way you can look into an astrology chart and see this?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that adheres perfectly with my life lesson, North Node in the 7th house and, and Jupiter retrograde in the 2nd, uh, you know, with all the squares to my 10th. That's pretty much my life's lessons. So I got to chill when you said that. Uh-huh. See, like, everybody really has the same karma.
1: Right.
0: See, like, there, there's really only one karma, and that karma basically has to do with uh, the separation that we are so hooked on. The third dimension, in a way, is like coffee or heroin or cigarettes, anything that we like to do over and over again that's bad for us, right, where we're under the illusion that it's good for us. You know, when people take a smoke after the, when they go to the bathroom or when they, after they eat or whenever they like to smoke or when they drink the coffee, like it temporarily gives you a lift or it's good. You know, but when you go in the hospital and have to have major surgery <laughs> several years later to pay that price, it's... You sit there and go, oh, God, I wish I would have known about this. Obviously, they do know about it. That's kind of what life is like. See, we're sort of pulled to this dimension because we place so much importance on these things. Like my quest as a nomad and trying to find out about one-to-one relationships has got me pretty entangled, let me tell you, emotionally with uh, certain wrong vehicles that I should have nothing to do with at all where many times I'm better off just dropping the obsession and saying, fine, you know, I've already sort of resolved in the fact that I may not get married in this lifetime, I might not have any kids, and I'm fine with that. Whereas when I was younger, that was very sad. When I thought of that, I got really upset about it. Because like, I wanted my cake, I wanted my toy, I wanted my wife, and I wanted the kids. And and people say, you might have that, Farley, but at this point, I don't care. If it, You know, if it happens, that's fine. But where I'm really get at getting into as I get older now is God, you know, because I'm starting to find out as you get older, that's really all you have to to fall back on because you try to place any more emphasis in anything other than God, like money. You know, of course, I might have abused my power in past lives and definitely don't have the type of money that I'd like to have. But when I was younger, I was like a little king, and I wanted to have riches and, and millions and stuff. And as as I got older, I learned I don't care if I have money now. Yes, so well
1: you've learned that lesson.
0: That's right. You've See, I learned it already. That's so right. That's over. That's right. So you know, maybe I'm not long for this earth <laughs> either. But but no, I hope not. I like to stay here because I like to teach. You know, I, th- I think that we can't grow unless certain teachers stay behind. Unfortunate thing about life is when you do absolve karma and rise above it, then you leave. It's yeah, like this is trivia. To the
1: level of being a teacher.
0: That's right. And and then we're left without too many people to help us into the light. You know, so. So I want to stay down here as long as I can, and that's why I keep making mistakes and slipping up and being human and screwing up a few relationships here and there and abusing money once in a while, you know, just just to anchor me down here so I can remain the teacher. Because some people will meet me and they'll go, well, you're Farley Maleris, you're supposed to be spiritual, you're perfect, you're our guru. I sit there and go, right, you know, I'm human. See, I've got a body, I've got skin, I've got teeth, eyes, I'm vulnerable here, you know. So until I rise up, I'm still part of the group down here, you know. So, you know, I just think that, uh, yeah, the numerology and the astrology is wonderful as pinpointing our major areas of obsession and where we've fallen down where we need to grow. And when people, you know, obviously I think the world would be a lot happier place if people learned what their own personal karmas were, and then everybody wouldn't take it so personal all the time and be fighting and wars and killing and bloodshed and rejection and everything else that goes on.
1: I know. I happen to, and sometimes if I look at a chart and there are too many karmic lessons, I know that person is a criminal, and sometimes I realize the letter that I've gotten is coming from prison. You
0: know, Shirley. Really but... Okay. Bye, bye. <laughs> bye, flower, lotus. Okay. Gosh, you know, I, I guess I'm selfish, but I love Mondays. I just the show is so different. I know a lot of you listen to Mondays only, <laughs> or listen to Mondays just to get the information. But it's just so incredible the learning I go through every Monday. I save all these Monday shows. I think if I ever go on a vacation, I'll probably play all the Monday shows. Let's go to Carol now, line 7. Hi, Carol. Hi. Yo.
1: <laughs> Good topic. Oh, really? Touched home.
0: <laughs> Touched home, yeah. Well, you know, if we forget, I always compare it to, uh, compare it to sticking your hand in the cookie jar, you know, in, uh-huh. in, instead of taking just one or none at all, because cookies can make you fat and form a you know, sugar rush. We try to grab them all. Sometimes sitting outside the cookie jar and just seeing how pretty they look uh-huh. is fine, you know. But in life, we've got our hands in all these cookie jars, and it hurts like heck trying to get them out, you know? If we can't get all those cookies, we just aggravate ourselves. Definitely. And I've known a lot of people that have died, and, you know, right before they die, it seems like the main thing that they realize on earth is that, what's it all about, Alfie? It's like, what's the use? You know, you work your whole life and acquire and acquire and acquire, and you end up dying and not getting anything to go with it anyway, but your spirit.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So people get so frustrated with it all, you know?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: What can we do for you?
1: Um... Okay, I have two questions, but I don't know which one is should ask. so I'll just go with the first one. What does it mean astrologically if you don't know your father? Who he is, his name, or nothing? Because, like, the name on my birth certificate is fictional. I know a lot of people that were born in my age group didn't have fathers, or the father wasn't around, or... Is
0: your son in the eighth house or the twelfth house?
1: I don't know how, that was my other question, how do you figure well, out? Well,
0: what's that? your rising sign?
1: <laughs> Virgo?
0: And what's your sun sign?
1: Um, Taurus?
0: Huh. Well, uh, what degree is your Virgo rising?
1: Thirteen.
0: And what degree is your son? Nine. That would throw your son in the eighth house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, when children are born with sons in the eighth house, that could mean that the father is either dead or missing. Eighth or twelfth house sons, there's a mystery, usually sometimes, behind the father. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when you're born without a father or without knowing who your real father is, there could be an identity crisis or a problem with identity there.
1: hmm
0: And that's probably what you have.
1: Well... It's um, strange though because about the time I was two, my mom met this guy and she lived with him for you know a good ten years. Not you know who I consider my father. So is it kind of like maybe I had the wrong father at birth and
0: yet- this biological connection we place a lot of importance on, yeah. but considering that we're all one anyway, it seems kind of <laughs> ludicrous, doesn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I mean a father is a father is a father. It's like right. if you're a lost child and you have no parents, it's like, find me a daddy. You know, in the spiritual context, the daddy's a daddy, right?
1: Right. A lot
0: of people listen to this show and they think I'm their father. You know, I didn't have any kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
1: <Daddy. laughs>
0: All right, thank you, Carol. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thank you for joining us today on Astrological Metaphysical Radio. We return weekdays at 12 noon on KFOX 93.5 FM. We'll see you real soon. Tomorrow's the two-hour edition, weekdays on KFOX 93.5 FM at 12 noon. I love you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye.